Welcome to Your Best You Today, the online radio show that uncovers the hidden truths and dispels the myths about food, nutrition, and exercise for anyone of any age. Every day you make dozens of decisions that will either have a positive or negative impact on your health. Join naturopathic doctor Kevin Jackson along with Rob Heppel to learn how you can start making your best you today. Welcome to the Your Best You Today show. I'm your host, Rob Heppel, and joined with health expert, Dr. Kevin Jackson. Dr. Kevin is a naturopathic doctor and has been helping people find natural solutions to health issues for over 25 years. With the Your Best You Today online radio show, we're going to dive into common health issues and explore natural solutions to them. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Kevin. Hey, Rob. Now, since we've uh, you know we've come to week 16 of... Uh, with our online radio show and the first 15 episodes have laid a great foundation for uh, a lot of information about health and uh, just getting people to become better and healthier and just giving them some, uh, some real input now. Um, and during that time though, we've started to receive some specific questions. So I thought this would be a great time to do a Q and a session. How's that sound? Yeah, great. Sounds, sounds good. So, uh, Hit me with some of them. Sure. Uh, so our first question is uh, from uh, Amy from Minneapolis, who asks, um, what are your thoughts on uh, fluoridation in of drinking water? Is it safe? My main concern is the safety of children. Yeah, you know, this is a, this is a good question. I think it's kind of topical, too, especially in the United States, um, where there's, uh, there's a lot of concern about this. Um, you know, water fluoridation is the practice of adding basically industrial grade fluoride chemicals to water for the purported purposes of preventing tooth decay. Uh, and one of the little known facts about this practice is that the United States fluoridates over 70% of its water supplies. That makes about 185 million Americans forced to drink fluoridated water. Um, you know, it has more people drinking fluoridated water than the rest of the world combined. Uh, and most developed nations, including all of Japan and 97% of Western Europe, do not fluoridate their water. Uh, in the United States, the Oral Health Division of the Center for Disease Controls, the CDC, um, they hail fluoridation as one of the top 10 public health achievements of the 20th century, um, which is kind of ridiculous. You know, I mean, when you look at comprehensive data from the World Health Organization, it reveals that there's no discernible difference in tooth decay between the minority of Western nations that fluoridate their water and the majority that do not. In fact, the tooth decay rates in many of the non-fluorinated countries now are lower than the tooth decay rates in the fluoridated ones. And it's becoming increasingly clear that fluoridating water supplies is an outdated and it's unnecessary. It's kind of a dangerous relic from the 1950s. Um, back when it was viewed as, you know, it's basically viewed as mass distribution of chemicals. Um, and it's, it's, it's just totally unnecessary. And we're going to get into why. And, you know, really, here's, here's three reasons why um, we need to end this practice worldwide, I think. The first is that, you know, unlike all other water treatment processes, fluoridation does not treat the water itself. It's treating the people who are drinking the water. 
And the Food and Drug Administration in the United States accepts the fact that fluoride is a drug. It's not a nutrient um, when it's used to prevent disease. So by definition, fluoridating water is a form of medication. And this is why most Western European nations have rejected the practice, because in their view, the, the public water supply is not an appropriate place to be adding drugs, you know, particularly when fluoride is readily available for individual use in the form of toothpaste. The second reason is, and the most obvious reason to end fluoridation, is that it's now known that fluoride's main benefit comes from topical contact with teeth. So in other words, we need to touch the fluoride to the teeth, for example, in the form of toothpaste, not by ingesting fluoride. And even the CDC's oral health division now acknowledges this, this fact. Um, there is simply no need, therefore, to swallow fluoride, whether in the water or toothpaste or any other form. We need to contact the teeth with the fluoride not swallow it. So we need to spit out our toothpaste and we shouldn't be drinking water with it. Also, despite early claims that fluoridated water would reduce cavities by 65%, modern large-scale studies show no consistent or meaningful difference uh, in the cavity rates of fluoridation um, and non-fluoridated areas. The third uh, and probably the most important reason to end fluoridation is that it's simply not a safe practice, particularly for those who have health concerns that render them vulnerable to fluoride's toxic effects. Um, there's no dispute that fluoridation is causing millions of children to develop dental fluorosis, which is a discoloration of the teeth that's caused by excessive fluoride intake. So scientists from the Center for Disease Control have acknowledged that fluoridation is causing cosmetically objectionable, as they call it, fluorosis on children's front teeth. And this is an effect that can cause children embarrassment and anxiety at an age when, you know, physical appearance is the single most important predictor of self-esteem. Also, you know, it's known that fluoridating um, water causes severe bone disease in dialysis patients. Uh, and this was uh, known, and up until the 1970s, um, they've, they were seeing consistent problems with this. And so now, um, since the 70s, dialysis units now filter out fluoride. Uh, Research shows that current fluoride exposures are still resulting in dangerously high bone fluoride levels in dialysis patients um, that they're getting, uh, you know, basically um, from their drinking water. Uh, so it's, it's really unethical to compromise the health of some members of the population to obtain uh, this supposed benefit for, for another, and particularly in the absence of these um, vulnerable members knowing uh, consent. And also, you know, there's a growing body of evidence, Rob, that, that um, reasonably indicates that fluoridated water, in addition to other sources of daily fluoride uh, exposure, can cause or contribute to a range of serious side effects and health effects, including arthritis, damage to the developing brain, reduced thyroid activity and function, and possibly osteosarcoma, which is a form of bone cancer in adolescent males. In recent years, you know, communities throughout the United States and Canada have started to reassess the conventional wisdom of fluoridating their, wa fluoridating their water. And many of these communities, including over 50 since 2010, are reaching the obvious conclusion 
when stripped of its endorsements and its well-meaning intentions, fluoridation simply doesn't make any sense at all. Europe reached this conclusion a long time ago, and it's now time for U.S. and Canada and other English-speaking nations to follow suit. Also um, worthy of note is the news that the Ministry of Health in Israel has recently banned fluoride in drinking water, as has Portland, Oregon, and Connecticut. Um, uh, Connecticut and South Carolina, I should say, and Minnesota are now looking at lifting mandatory uh, fluoridation rulings. So is there anything our listeners uh, can do if they're living in these communities that fluoridate their drinking water? Yeah, there is, Rob. And, and, you know, there was an interesting study that was just published in Pharmacognosy magazine. It was, it was titled Curcumin Attenuates Neurotoxicity Induced by Fluoride. Um, and this adds experimental support to the suspicion that fluoride is indeed a brain damaging substance. And it also, it's revealing that this natural spice derived protective agent, um, against various health effects is associated, um, it can, it can help in this in this manner, and so curcumin is a an extract from the spice turmeric. Uh, and what this study showed was that um, you know taking uh, this curcumin, which you can actually buy in a lot of health food stores now, you can buy this extract of turmeric called curcumin, and uh, curcumin comes in different strengths, but you know it's very safe. Uh, it's an anti-inflammatory agent. It's used for many different things, but now they're showing that it actually has a, a beneficial effect um, for preventing this uh, toxic effect of fluoride um, on the nervous system in humans. Um, and then, you know, to physically remove fluoride from your drinking water, you can use distillation, reverse osmosis, or there is a, a filter called an activated alumina defluoridation filter, which is available out there. So do, um, is there a way that uh, people can find out how much fluoride or if their water is is fluoridated? Can they contact their... Yeah, if you can contact your municipal um, hall, they should be able to tell you uh, what is added to the drinking water in your city or town. Uh, And, you know, that's pretty uh, common knowledge for any um, uh, municipality should be readily available to to their um, constituents. Okay. What else do you have there, Rob? Sure. Well, um, now we've got uh, another question from um, Joel in uh, in Perth, Australia. And he asks, uh, you mentioned a lot um, about food in your podcast, but not really say much about exercise. Where does exercise fit into your suggestions for total health? Well, uh, Joel, you know, exercise is absolutely imperative for maximum health. Um, you know, and I can't say enough great things about uh, exercise and just how important it is for us all to try and be as active as possible. My general recommendation for the average person out there is that you should be at the very, very bare minimum exercising um, 40 minutes three to four times a week. Uh, and that 40 minutes should be uh, a, composi- a composition of both cardio and weight-bearing exercise. Uh, now, it you know, if you can do more, that's great. Uh, I mean, I think there is there is a, a point of diminishing returns when it comes to exercise. Uh, some people just love to do it for the sake of doing it, and that's that's a great thing as long as you don't hurt yourself. But you know, exercise is uh, so important. It, it increases oxygenation to all tissues. It helps brain function. 
you know, it prevents cardiovascular disease. Um, it does a lot of wonderful things for us. But, you know, typically I'm helping people with, with chronic disease. And many people with chronic disease, you know, can't move very well or, they, you know, they've got joint disorders and, and they have difficulty getting around very often. And so the most important thing I see in general is diet is the number one issue when it comes to curing disease. Now, diet and changing your diet doesn't always cure disease, but I see so many cases where it does, in fact, completely cure disease or at least alter a person's quality of life in a very positive way. And because, you know, a great example of this is diabetes, type 2 diabetes. I have... Um, you know, hundreds of patients who were type 2 diabetics but aren't any longer. And mostly this is because of what they've done with their diet. Now, exercise is a great adjunct to that, and um, it's, it's a wonderful add-on, but I have many patients who are comp have completely, completely turned around that disease without exercising. But I've never seen anybody, um, you know, not change their diet at all and exercise their way out of type 2 diabetes. I've never seen that happen. Now, it may, but I just, I don't think it's a, it's a um, common solution to the problem. So that, again, not to say that exercise is not important because to me, if you want to be a healthy person and live a long, healthy life, it's a combination of regular exercise and being very uh, aware of what you're putting into your body. And you know, maintaining some of the things we've talked about in the previous 15 podcasts. So exercise is absolutely imperative, um, uh, Joel. And, uh, you know, it's a good question. But I believe that if you had to decide between one thing and you have a chronic illness, most of the time uh, changing your diet is going to have more impact. If you had to take one of those two things, I would typically go for diet first, and then once the diet is hopefully kicking in and helping that person, then they can actually exercise more frequently Frequently after that. Well, you know what they say, Kev, is that you can't out-train a crappy diet. You know, yeah. and I've, I've tried. Yeah, I've yeah. tried. That's true but, enough. Um, That's true. Yeah, you, you got to... The diet is the... <laughs> is the the primary for sure yeah and i mean that and it's funny rob because you know i see this uh, often is that you know people are great athletes but they're not eating well and they just cannot attain you know what they want to attain until they make the appropriate changes with their diet to to actually become better at what they're doing you were looking at me when you were saying that. No, so no, was I, that, wasn't, that? I, wasn't, I wasn't looking your <laughs> okay, way Okay, let's, let's move on to the next one here. Yeah, what do we got? Uh, okay, so uh, this one's from uh, Ram in Victoria, British Columbia. And uh, the question, uh, my question is about my old nemesis, sugar. Do you have some suggestions for getting off sugar? It's been really hard uh, to get off sugar, and any help would be appreciated. Well, you know, this is a very common problem for... Um, many people you know i just had a patient um yesterday who she came in and, and said that you know she knew that she was addicted to sugar um she completely you know um she didn't try to hide that at all she you know she was drink she's drinking anywhere from two to 
six cans of Coke every day. Um, and it, it was just, she just could not conceive of a way to get off because every time she tried to get off of sugar, it was just too difficult. And the, there were headaches and there was withdrawal and she felt horrible and it was just too difficult for her to, to, uh, to get off. And this is a common problem. And, and because sugar has an indirect effect on lowering serotonin levels and lower serotonin levels provoke sugar cravings, you know, it makes sense that repeated sugar use will cause increased sugar cravings. And conversely, when one eliminates sugar from their diet, it results in an elevation of serotonin levels, which in turn decreases sugar cravings. Um, and so in a nutshell, what I'm saying is that as a person gets off the sugar, and sometimes you have to do this slowly, although I try to recommend that people just go cold turkey and then put up with the craziness that's going to happen to them for the first five or six days, which, you know, could be headaches and, you know, um, cravings and... Irritability. You know, irritability, absolutely <laughs> irritability. Uh, you know, sometimes mood swings, depression, anxiety, uh, gastrointestinal symptoms, skin outbreaks... I mean, it can be kind of unusual, some of the things you'll see in withdrawal to sugar. And, you know, Coca-Cola knew what they were doing back in the, at the, to the, just after the turn of the century back in the early 1900s, uh, when, you know, they used cocaine in their product. That's where it's got its name from. Coca-Cola was because there was cocaine in there. And when they were forced to stop using cocaine, they used the next best thing, and that was sugar uh, and 10 approximately 10 teaspoons of sugar per can. Um, and you, and now from what you've shared in the past is that sugar is actually more addictive than cocaine. Well, you know, I don't know if it's more addictive, but it certainly is very t addictive and it affects the same part of the mm -hmm. brain as cocaine. So, you know, uh, and it's, it's considered to be, um, you know, it's socially acceptable. And so more people are exposed to it. And so, you know, from two-year-olds right up to 90-year-olds, we have a host of our population that is uh, addicted to sugar. So, you know, Rem, uh, the deal is that I recommend that get off sugar, stay off sugar, and then once you're off of it for usually three to four weeks, those cravings fall off. It's just that you have to sort of be prepared for the fact that you're going to be fighting an uphill battle for a little while before you get there. But my suggestion is to go 100% basically or as close to 100% off of sugars and you'll feel better faster that way. What's the next question, Rob? Um, <clears throat> so the next one is uh, from uh, Amanda in Omaha, Nebraska. And uh, she asks, a friend recently mentioned that uh, antibacterial hand cleaners are not safe. Our family uses them a lot, so I'm concerned. Well... Uh, what, what Amanda is speaking about, I think, is the agent triclosan. Uh, it's an antibacterial agent that's added to many hand cleaners, but it's also added to, you know, topical acne medications and body washes, you know, cosmetics, kitchenware, clothing, deodorants. Uh, and as of the recording of this podcast, it's added to Colgate Total Toothpaste, uh, Breeze Daily Mouthwash, wash, and uh, Reach Antibacterial Toothbrushes. So triclosan is a potent antibacterial and antifungal agent, otherwise known as 5-chloro-224-dichlorophenoxyphenol. Uh, 
one might think that it's a great idea to use an antibacterial, antifungal agent in soaps and toothpaste and other personal hygiene products, but it is not, and here's why. First of all, when we constantly kill microorganisms, we immediately bring into play the issue of microbial resistance. Uh, a similar situation now exists with the overuse of antibiotics. So soap just washes microorganisms off our skin. It doesn't kill them, so there's never an issue around this resistance. Secondly, triclosan has been shown uh, to be an endocrine disruptor. And what I mean by that, it, 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 it plays havoc with the hormones and the organs in our body that produce hormones. Uh, and a study published in the Journal of Tox Toxological Sciences shows that a marked reduction in T3 and T4 levels um, uh, in uh, pubescent male rats. Now, T3 and T4 are the two primary thyroid hormones that basically run our metabolic rate in our body and, you know, perform many other very important things. Uh, as most of you, uh, any of you out there who are hypothyroid will know just how important those things are. So triclosan appears to disrupt or play havoc with those two important hormones. Uh, other studies have shown that triclosan increases estrogen levels and decreases testosterone levels. So especially in young males, that's not a good thing. Uh, thirdly, triclosan can re react with free chlorine in tap water to produce lesser amounts of uh, other compounds such as 2,4-dichlorophenol. Uh, and some of these intermediates such as 2,4-dichlorophenol convert into dioxins. And I think most people are aware of dioxins uh, you know, when, it's when they're exposed to UV radiation from the sun or other sources. And although only very small amounts of dioxins are produced, some dioxins are extremely toxic and are very potent carcinogens. Fourthly, triclosan's safety is under review by the FDA and Health Canada. Uh, three years ago, Colgate Palmolive responded to safety concerns brought forth by consumer groups by removing triclosan from its soap products but the company left it in its best-selling toothpaste. What is going on there? I don't get that one. And then, you know, when you go to the Mayo Clinic website, it says triclosan is an ingredient added to certain soaps, cosmetics, clothing, cookware, etc., to reduce or prevent bacterial contamination. Recent studies, however, have raised questions about whether triclosan might be hazardous to human health. And the Mayo website goes on to say, research has shown that triclosan alters hormonal regulation in animals. It might contribute to the development of antibiotic resistant germs, and it might be harmful to the immune system. It also says that when you use a product containing triclosan, you can absorb a small amount through your skin or mouth. And a 2008 study, which was designed to assess exposure to triclosan in the a uh, representative sample of U.S. children and adults found triclosan in the urine of ne nearly 75% of those tested. And it, then the, the Mayo Clinic website goes on to say triclosan isn't an essential ingredient in many products. And then they go on to say there currently isn't enough evidence to recommend avoiding the use of products that contain triclosan. Another, that just spins my head. I don't get that at all. They go on to talk about how 
potentially deadly this is, but there's just not enough evidence to, for us to stop using it. And yet they're finding it in 75% of the urine of, of children and adults, adults out there. I mean, it just makes no sense. We need to not use this product until we know more about it. But currently, there's enough evidence, as far as I'm concerned, that we should just not allow it in our households. So you need to actually look into some of these um, substances that contain it, mainly um, hand cleaners. That's really where you're going to see most of it. Uh, so, you know, triclosan, T-R-I-C-L-O-S-A-N, you're looking for that, uh, that word. And if it's there, you don't want to buy that product. Now, sometimes they don't even list this in the ingredient list or they don't even have ingredient lists on some of these things. So you actually have to go out there and kind of, uh, you know, look. And there are websites that actually talk about what, where triclosan is found. Um, but currently, um, uh, Colgate uh, Total um, Toothpaste, um, that's one that I would recommend that uh, nobody use. Uh, and breeze daily mouthwash and don't buy toothbrushes uh, that are called antibacterial toothbrushes by reach because you know you're going to be putting this potentially potent uh, chemical into the mouths of yourself and your children and loved ones so you know I say uh, let's avoid this substance at all costs and it's a great question and most people don't know about this and I think it's a really important thing that we start um, being aware of because we already have far too many chemicals in our environment as it is. Now, when you're at a medical clinic or, um, you know, a lot of public areas, they have those, either the foam or the mist dispensers. So would most of those contain that as well? Yes, most of them do. Uh, you can go to, like health food stores now sell uh, alternatives that don't have the uh, the triclosan in them they use uh, tea tree oil uh, derivatives or they use you know some other grapefruit seed extract these kind of things that have antibacterial effects which still you know to me it's uh, that's a step in the right direction because at least you're not putting this potent chemical into your body but you know I think we're still ahead of the game if we use soap to wash our hands now in in areas where that's just not possible and you need some sort of instantaneous way of uh, getting your hands clean, then I think these alternatives that like you'll find in health food stores um, and perhaps some more of the uh, sort of alternative type uh, pharmacies, uh, you'll be able to pick something up and, it, and at least it's useful. So it's best to, when you're at the sink in the public restroom, use the, the soap right there. Don't opt for the little foam thing as you're walking out the door. Yeah, that's, that's right. And, you know, unfortunately, even some of these liquid soaps are antibacterial uh, so you have to be a little careful with that. You might even be better just to wash your hands with water if you know that there, there's an, you know, an antibacterial soap with triclosan in it. Well, hey, Kev, that's, uh, this has been great, and it's uh, been a nice uh, way to, to kind of dive in it you know, and, and take a short, quick look at some specific things that are on the minds of our, our, of our listeners. So um, uh, you know, if you're listening and you have a specific question, uh, you know, please... Uh, send us an email or fill out uh, the form on the website and we'll get that into our, uh, or we'll try to get into our next time that we have a, a Q&A session like this. Uh, any final thoughts? Well, you know, um, I, I think it's great that, um, you know, people are listening and, they're, and they've come up with some great questions here. Um, 
you know, anything that crosses your mind that you're, you, you want, an, want my opinion on or for whatever that's worth, not necessarily it's worth that much, but it's an opinion at least. And maybe, uh, you know, hopefully uh, what we can do is give you some information that you may, I, I think that anytime you get information, you should never, you know, accept it as verbatim. Go out there and investigate it for yourself uh, and try to look at both sides of the story. Uh, and hopefully I can give a, a fairly balanced, uh, you know, answer to your questions uh, and a balanced approach to uh, to ways to solve health concerns and problems for, for the average person out there. Well, that's great. So if you, uh, if you haven't already done so, uh, subscribe to the podcast. Uh, you can do so by going to iTunes or just going to our website, uh, yourbestyoutoday.com. Click on the, um, click on the banner on the side and that will take you to uh, iTunes where you can subscribe to it to come to your computer or you can search the iTunes uh, podcast directory on your smartphone and uh, just search for Your Best You Today and uh, subscribe there so you don't miss another episode. And if, you, if any of this information has helped you, we would just hope that you would tell someone else about it. And stay tuned for the next uh, episode of the Your Best You Today show. Thanks a lot. This has been another episode of Your Best You Today with Dr. Kevin Jackson and Rob Heppel, where they tackle nutritional topics so that you can become your best you today. To ask a question or leave a comment, visit the website at www.yourbestyoutoday.com. Make sure that you never miss another episode by subscribing to this podcast for free on iTunes.